name is Theo Finnegan and welcome to Conversations in the Arts and Humanities. I'm here with Dr. Yuichi Mukai, who on Friday, January 22nd from 10 till 11.30, will give a talk entitled Beyond Multilingualism, How Linguists Think and Talk About Language. Dr. Mukai has a PhD in linguistics from the University of Alberta, which is also where my PhD is from, yay Alberta, yay. <laughs> um, and is a professor in the Department of Modern Languages Studies at BIU. Welcome Yoichi, thanks for joining me, how are you doing today? Good, thank you for having me today. Good. You mentioned in the abstract for your talk that non-linguists sort of assume that linguists are polyglots or multilingual, that you necessarily yeah. have to speak a bunch of languages. Are there preconceptions that you think people have about your discipline who, who maybe don't know about linguistics? Yeah, like one of, one of the things that people think what linguists do is the, uh, yeah, like, uh, you know, checking on your grammar, for example, like a prescriptive, like a prescriptive is an idea of it. Yeah, yeah, but me as a linguist or we as a linguist, we are interested in the descri- description of the language rather than prescribing. So that's uh, one of the things, like, uh, yeah, same as how many languages do you speak, but other questions, oh, you study linguistics, okay, I have to care for, I have to be careful yeah, yeah. To say, how, how to say, yeah, <laughs> that's really, really common. Yes. Linguists study grammar, and then grammar, definition of grammar for us to, to linguists is slightly different from what you like uh, what people think grammar is so like uh, grammar could be something like a word order in the typical context but for us grammar is any kind of patterns you can find in language mm-hmm. not only the word order mm-hmm. but also how to put the sounds together when you pronounce whatever the word it is mm-hmm certain patterns that you can find when you build a word. Like uh, you attach a bunch of, bunch of the uh, prefix and suffixes and then you know, infixes, a lot of stuff to build the word. But there's a certain way to do it. Mm. Mm. So that kind of pattern, that kind of grammar, mm. that's what we are talking about. In the, that's the grammar we are interested in. I feel like you made an interesting distinction between prescriptive and descriptive. Um, mm-hmm. Can you maybe just talk a little bit about what, what, what do you mean by, so if someone's prescriptive about grammar, it means that they're what, trying to enforce a rule because it's the proper way to speak. As a linguist, we don't see what is proper, what is improper mm. of the usage of the language. We are interested in how we actually use the language rather than prescribing how we think we should or how we think we are supposed to. Mm-hmm. That's not something coming from the language itself. That's something like, uh, I don't, I don't want to say artificially, but uh, something we created based on what we have. But we, want, we, we are interested in what's going on in our mind, how we speak or how we understand, how we comprehend the speech. Right, so. right. And whereas a lot of people's experiences with grammar would, would be precisely prescriptive, right? For, for yeah. Some, you know, that they will have learned that there's supposedly a certain way to, t- to talk and, and therefore if, if you're talking about grammar you must mean those rules right so definitely we are not 
<laughs> like uh, rank, we are definitely not like a judge or rank or assess yes. which language is better than the other. No, like uh, as long as it is used as a, as a communication system, like uh, you can use a language to communicate to each other. And they, if it's successful communication, language does the job. Hmm. So that's the important thing. What drew you to linguistics originally? Was it something you were always interested in or did you sort of come to it in undergrad? Like, how did you get into linguistics? I was born in Japan and I came to Canada when I was 20, 25, 25 or 6. Yeah. And then at the time, I couldn't buy a coffee at the Tim Horton. I remember that I was yelled at because they didn't understand what I was saying. And then a bunch of people were waiting behind me and, you know, my MA degree was applied linguistics. It's more like a practical application of like the language, how we learn the language, how we teach the language type of thing. Mm. But, uh, and then I was teaching Japanese for a while. Like I was teaching Japanese when I was in Ottawa, when I was in Niagara Falls and all that. Mm. But I wanted to know more about how language works. I was a teacher, so I was really yeah. focusing on how to teach and yeah. all that. But because I'm a native speaker of language, all the knowledge I have is really, really implicit. Like uh, nothing is explicit. So yeah. I can tell what is right, what is wrong when you do the grammar. But I didn't have a reason why this is right and why this is wrong. Mm. So seems like a linguistics helps me to understand that. More like, uh, again, this. I might be able to find, I thought I might be able to find the description of these ones. So it's interesting that it, that it sort of came out of um, an experience that you had or certain yeah. experiences where you sort of wanted to account for them and that, that seemed like it was maybe the way to go rather than something you wanted to do from when you were like a child or, or were you always interested in language, do you think? Or was it more later that it became something you were interested in? More later, definitely. I wasn't, I wasn't good at it or at all when I was in school in Japan. So. It's funny that you say that too, because I, I find that because I teach teach writing, you know, and, and how to write in business context and literary context. Mm. And I've had, I found that I've had to really brush up on my gra English grammar because mm. I've, I think I've got a pretty good sense of grammar, but as you say, it, it's implicit. So I kind of know what sounds right and what's correct, quote unquote, but uh, but it, mm. it's, it was always hard for me to, ex to explain why, you know, why does the comma have to go there? Um, so in order to kind of become a better teacher of that, I've had to think a little bit about, not not just that there are rules, but also why, why they're there and what they're yeah. for as well. Another thing that I found fascinating in, in your um, abstract for your talk was that I'll just read you a quote from what you said. You say that linguistics, quote, employs a wide range of approaches taken in many different disciplines from arts and humanities, mm. social and natural sciences. So I wondered yeah. if you could just say a little bit about what, what does linguistics look like when you're doing it from a humanities angle as opposed to when you're doing it from a natural sciences angle? Because those are obviously very different. I mean, there's interconnections, but they're quite different ends of a spectrum of, of knowledge production. Would linguists at either end of that spectrum recognize each other as doing the same thing? Or is it really quite different what, what say, a scientific approach is as opposed to a humanities approach? In the field of linguistics, it comes down to the method that we are using. 
listen, I study, I'm a kind of phonetician and I study psycholinguistics as well, so that I do use a lot of the experimentation method or experiment employed in the psychology. So like uh, looking at your eye, eye tracking, like when they comprehend the speech, something that uh, not only the behavior, like a reaction time type of thing, but we look at a lot of that kind of stuff as well. Sometimes for, again, for the science and I never actually used it in my research, but I learned how to use it, use it. like a EEG, ERP, like something that you see in the hospital, like a bunch of, like a, like a headgear type of thing. And looking at the, we look at the waves when we comprehend certain kind of sentences, semantically incongruent sentences, or like a pragmatically incongruent, syntactically doesn't work, or like a lot of that kind of stuff. Mm. For the science end, but for the American humanities end, I also studied a little bit of the discourse analysis. So how we carry the conversations, and then what kind of what kind of signals we tend to like, what kind of words would be the signal to like a turn taking or like a quantitative qualitative. That's like a bigger differentiation, but. Yeah, what I do is more like a quantitative type of stuff, but I have a little bit of background on the uh, qualitative as well, so that uh, yeah. more like anthropology type of approach. But I guess it depends. Yeah, what kind of the uh, like uh, ground theory, like uh, different kind of approaches they can take. But the bigger sense of the qualitative and the right. quantitative. Yeah. So yeah, and like then, methodological distinction. Um, right. Yeah, I didn't know that, that, that you could sort of look at EEGs and brainwaves as part of linguistics. It's not just looking at words on a page. Like, you can also look at bodies. Yeah, and yeah exactly. That, that interesting thing you just said that. It is difficult for us to detach from language yeah. that doesn't need to be written. A lot of the reading and writing I do is not on a page. Like, it's totally a metaphor. <laughs> yes, and then language can exist without the writing system. So writing, writing is a byproduct of the language. So like, uh, there's a, a lot of languages in the world, like uh, more than 7,000 different languages, including the sign languages, but a lot of them doesn't have a writing system. But still, that's a language. So the, la the speech comes first, in a sense. Um, yeah. And then the writing comes... Yeah. It's supplemental, I guess you could say. Yes, supplemental, yeah, that's true. Uh, and then quite different if you look at it, how we talk and how we write, yeah, quite different. Writing is not a byproduct, but uh, writing cannot exist without the speech first. Hi, my name's Theo, and I teach in the English department at Vancouver Island University. You're listening to Conversations in the Arts and Humanities on CHLY 101.7 FM Nanaimo. Right. <laughs> 
What and one of the concepts I think you're going to talk about in your in your talk is um, the relationship between when you read a word and say a word, and how right. reading it can. Uh, I can't remember what the word is that you actually use, but it somehow make causes us to to maybe misrecognize or make mistakes. Yeah, because we know how to read and write, mm. so it seems like that has an impact on how we comprehend the speech. So somehow reading. Like uh, orthography has a strong impact on the mind when we comprehend the speech. Do you think you're gonna kind of activate the letters when you're hearing the speech or when you are saying something? To be honest, I don't think I've ever thought about that, but I would imagine that because I'm so, you know, I teach literature and I think about mm. writing all the time. And so I'm very text oriented. Um, but it probably is true to some extent that I, you know, even if you think to my metaphor of words on the page, um, as a kind of tech prioritizing of textuality. Um, mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. we see that, that maybe that would affect the way I think about speaking. Although it's interesting because I'm also raising a toddler. So I have a mm -hmm. two year old daughter yeah. who's right in the middle of acquiring a whole bunch of language right at the moment. She, that's that's she, beautiful. Language is exploding and it, it is beautiful, but it's, it, that's made me think a lot about how you acquire language. And it seems to be, very, well, first of all, quite mysterious to me anyway, um, but also quite mm -hmm. um, automatic almost, or there's a, there's a lot of mimicry that's going on, but also right. she'll come up with these sentences that I'm like, where did you get that? You know, and, and, and I guess it's because she's been listening for a long time and maybe right. or something. I don't know. It's, it's really fascinating. Yeah, really interesting. That kind of stuff, really interesting. It depends what kind of, school of thought you were in in linguistics but uh yeah like uh, chomsky says uh, like you know we are wo we are born with it right language is innate yeah. Yeah. so somehow like a lot of the uh input from your you or like you know all the people around yes maybe usually it triggers whatever the thing whatever's mind and yeah, yeah, yeah. so that's really interesting. Like the other day, she just out of nowhere said, I'm frustrated. <laughs> and she, <laughs> like, like 20, 23 months or whatever. And I was like, uh, like does, did you just hear me say that at some point? Or <laughs> do you know what that means? Like it was, it was a really striking moment. <laughs> Maybe you are saying that. So that could have been it. on to maybe a more more slightly more kind of personally oriented question so you came to uh -huh. Canada 
to, to go to graduate school or, or what's, what was the sort of circumstance? Yeah, yeah, to be honest, just a no reason, just for no, fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious because I, I have a similar trajectory. I, I came to Canada at, when I was 23, mm-hmm. 22, 23, to, to do a master's and then came back to do a PhD. And, and yeah, the first time I came was sort of really no reason in a sense. Like it was, there, were, there was some funding opportunities and so on, but it, but it was a bit random. And then I came back because I really liked it. But I was wondering mm. about your experience of... Yeah, I yeah. see. Because... Like, uh, I was working in Japan after finishing my university. I was working as a, like, uh, assistant car mechanic when I was in Japan. And then I, there's a system in Japan called working holiday. So it's like you can get a visa to come to Canada and you can do whatever you want. Work, go to school, one year. Yes. And then I, using that, I came here. And then I was working. Yeah, a lot of stuff happened and then I ended up working because I couldn't speak English at all. So I was working at a souvenir store, souvenir store yeah. for Japanese tourists. Huh. So that was actually, that was a Japanese company in Canada, yeah. Vancouver at the time. So I ended up working there and then I ended up working there like a 10 months. And then I was like, okay, I have to do something. I, I don't want to go back to Japan. Just I quit the job that I liked and then wh- why I'm doing that here. So yeah, ended up, I was hired that company as a like actual member of the company, not a working holiday type of the uh, part-time job. And then I was transferred to the uh, different store in Niagara Falls and then working there. And then as I'm working there, I got a PR, and then I started. Uh, and then I started going to college first mm. in Ottawa, mm. learning the basics of applied linguistics type of thing. And then after that, I applied to the like a grad school, at the, mm. but I couldn't get it because of the uh, my education a long time ago, and what I did was completely different thing. So I had to do another qualifying year, like taking a bunch of undergrad classes and all that. I was accepted and then I was doing MA at Carleton University in Ottawa. The PhD, did it seem natural that you would, you just wanted yes. to respond? Yeah, yeah. Yes, I really enjoy learning about language, not a learning language, learning about language. Yeah, yeah I was really fascinated by it. So yeah, just the, the reason that I came to yeah. Canada was kind of no reason, just uh, go with flow. And then when I was in Japan, I was doing completely different things. So a lot of my friends in Japan never believed that I that I have PhD and then teaching at the university. Yeah, they're like, what? You, you didn't, you couldn't even say a word in English. What's going on? Like, but uh, yeah, completely different. It's really interesting. I had a completely different life. We have something similar in New Zealand where, where you, you have, they call it the OE which stands okay. for overseas experience. And it's a very common sort of almost like rite of passage. Well, not now with COVID, but <laughs> it's really common for young people to go and do something overseas for a year. For me, it was going to study, but some people will go and backpack around Europe or, mm. or go to Asia and do the same thing. Um, but yeah, like the idea of getting away from home yeah. for a year or for me, it ended up being 
two years and then then I guess ever since then 16 years but um but yeah it's it's sort of a, a common kind of yeah rite of passage I suppose what do you miss about Japan because you obviously live live in uh, Nanaimo now um yep. where your career is is um what what do you miss about quote-unquote home yeah I miss my friends over there and yep. my family I mean my mom over there and then I wanted to say I miss Japanese food, but uh, actually quite a bit of nice Japanese food here. So I'm quite okay with it now. So when I was in Edmonton, I, I, was, I missed quite a bit of nice, authentic called Japanese food. But yeah, Nanaimo here, yeah, I like it. So Sometimes when I lived in Edmonton, I'd get sushi sometimes and I'd be like, how far did this fish have to travel to get to my <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did in, the, in Edmonton? Um, yeah, so friends and family, obviously, food. I suppose now we're so interconnected that you can kind of keep up with the news from back home and so on. Yeah. Um, do, do you sort of miss being in a place where everyone speaks Japanese or does that not really? Yeah, speak Japanese. Yeah, language-wise, yeah, as you said, like, you know, we can connect using any kind of like um, tools, medium nowadays. You can do Skype, you can do Zoom, and then, yes, language-wise, yeah, that's definitely fine. Last question, uh, and this has been a, a fantastic conversation. Um, do you, what do you do in your spare time? Do you have uh, Netflix shows you like to binge? Do you like to read? What, what kind of things, when you're not working, do you like to do? Um, with ah. Yeah, uh, I thought we are supposed to work all the time. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I guess, like a Japanese, not a ethics. Well, it's, yeah. also, it's also a, that's a, that's a PhD. Um, I still have that mindset. I mean, I finished my PhD nine years ago, but I, well, 10 years ago, actually, this year. But I still, I have this residual guilt about, like, not working hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Always, always. I yeah, feel guilty yeah. if I'm not I do doing more. anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like watch Netflix and I like watching soccer too, so that uh, I'm following the you know, soccer, yeah. especially the Bundesliga in Germany. Yeah. In Germany. But uh, yeah, I used to play soccer, but not anymore. But uh, yeah, I like, I watched the uh, Godzilla yesterday. <laughs> The, the newer Netflix or the older one, older one. The old, it's an original. Yes. In the new series. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Somehow, like when I was browsing the Netflix, oh, oh, why not? Like somehow. Now, yeah, I wasn't so into it like when I was in Japan, but now I like, I, 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 yeah, I've been watching all the Godzilla movies now. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, What's a cool thing? <laughs> Yeah, so cool. Like, you know, I don't know. Godzilla is pretty cool. Yeah, no, I like it. Um, I guess I want to support something Japanese. Japanese. <laughs> um, Yoichi, thank you very much for talking with me. That was really uh, both instructive, but also fun to talk to you. And I, I really appreciate you taking some time out. And I'm uh, very much looking forward to your uh, presentation on linguistics coming up uh, on Friday the 22nd. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Conversations in the Arts and Humanities. Thanks to Yoichi Mukai for joining me in conversation. Technical production by Robin Davies. Music by Greg Bush.
Colloquium series will be back on February 12th with Callie Black, Executive Director at Point Alice House Museum and Gardens and Adjunct Professor of History at VIU, discussing the rooms where it happened, practicing public history at Victoria's House Museum. For more information, go to ah.viu.ca and click on Colloquium Series. My name's Theo Finnegan. Thanks for listening.